My name is Wendell Watts. Our scripture reading for today is from John 20 and 21. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. She came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni! Which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. 
Then in John 21, 1, 3, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. This is the word of God. You may be seated. On this Easter 2016, I want to talk to you about the power to change. But of course, human nature, if it changes at all, changes not much faster than the geological face of the earth. Is there any hope for us? That, that was the verdict of Alexander Solzhenitsyn in his Gulag Archipelago. If, if you know anything about Solzhenitsyn, you know that if anybody could say this, that we don't change, it, it could be uh, Solzhenitsyn because he had lived through two social experiments, uh, thoroughgoing social experiments that tried to change whole societies, that tried to change individual human beings, uh, that even tried to create a whole new human being. And, and Solzhenitsyn looked at the whole attempt, and at the end of his life, he said those things had completely and utterly failed. And he said, these attempts to change us as human beings, they will always fail because of one reason. Because of the intractability, that's what he said, the intractability of human beings. That means that we just don't change. And let, let's face it, human nature doesn't seem to be easily changed for the good. I mean, in our world, things don't usually go from disorder to order, do they? Or, or, or from bad to good. And that's especially true for us as people. Okay, let's just think about us as human beings. There are things that we can change. We know that. We have Caltech not too far away from us. We can learn a lot about technology. We, there's a lot of things that can happen that, that we can change in that way. But even if we build upon what's gone on in the past and move it forward, even if we're able to control our environment, for example, in some ways, we seem even less able to control ourselves. Our, our morals our whole ways of life. I mean, I'm not saying that we can't recognize that I'd rather live this way than that way, right from wrong, and even, and even really work hard to try to do it. But the question is, can we do it? And Solzhenitsyn said, no. So what am I going to preach about on this Easter Sunday? Am I going to say that there is no hope for any of us who have come as failures and who want to be better people. You came to church even because you hope you'll go out better than when you came in. Am, am I saying that we are all uh, people who just get trapped in a way of life that as hard as we work against it cannot be changed? So here, with all that in mind, you show up at Lake Avenue Church, Easter 2016. And you see that the title of my sermon is uh, The Power to Change, right? Uh, what am I going to talk about? I, I'm guessing you already know what I'm going to talk about. But here's where I'm going to start. I want to start by showing you the story. Uh, the young man who's a part of our church, I see him in the middle of our congregation today. You have to find him after church. Uh, I'm going to let him, Matt Ballantyne, tell you his story, and then I'm going to come back up again. 
My name is Matthew. I'm 22 years old. I grew up in the church and I was always kind of surrounded by Christianity. About probably the last three, three years of high school, I began kind of growing away from Christianity. Just, it was partly just because I kind of grew this kind of hatred and anger towards it. Um, kind of when you're surrounded by Christianity your whole life, you feel like it's something that was forced on you and never really a, a choice that you were able to make on your own. So when I left high school and I moved into college, completely turned away. I just basically had this just strong commitment just to just be self-sufficient, kind of maximizing your own kind of self-pleasure, going out there and experiencing everything you could possibly experience. And throughout college, it was kind of a slow progressive cycle, but basically the experiences turned into drug use. I knew God existed, but for me, I was just saying that I just didn't want any part of him. And for me, the drug use was like my way of like sealing the deal that I am no longer a Christian. It just got to the point where it felt like my, in my entire life was collapsing. It was a night in December where I was feeling really, really low. It was a hard day at work and I came back to my apartment and you know, there was, you know, our, the paraphernalia was sitting out there and I was just looking at it. And I was just saying like, like, I can't. Like that's, I don't wanna be a slave to this anymore. At that point, I just realized that the whole time that I was running from God, the whole time I was trying to pursue this other lifestyle is because I was trying to fill in a gap that only God can fill. And at that point, I just got up, went to my room, got on my knees and I said, God, just, I've been ignoring you. I've cursed you. I've, I don't know if you're even listening to me right now, but just, like take my life. I just just surrendered it all to him and just said, God, just just have like transform my life, break it down if you have to, but just like just give me the strength to pull myself out of this. And at that point is when things started to really change in my life. And to the fact that I came to God and you know, like February, late February, I got baptized and I never thought I would ever get to that point. I literally thought that the only way that I was ever gonna come to God was that if something happened to me and I was on my deathbed. I thought that that was the only way. And the changes that he's made in me, I, I, I don't even recognize myself. Ah, I've heard it many times, it moves me every time. You've just heard and seen the personal story of, of a young man who, who's really courageously and transparently opened up his life to us. And, and shared that he, he's gotten himself trapped in a destructive way of life that included addictive drugs. And, and what he gives testimony to us about is, is that he's finding freedom through the power of the resurrected Jesus. Uh, what Matt is saying to us is that Solzhenitsyn was right. In our own strength, uh, human nature changes not much faster than the geologic face of the earth. 
But we can't do it on our own. But what we can't do, Jesus can. That's what he's declaring to us. And when he says this, the question that you and I have to ask ourselves is this. Do we believe him? Do, believe, do we believe that there is still the power in this world from God himself for our lives to change? Well, you've heard Matt's story. I want to show you two more stories. They're stories in the Bible. One of the things I love about these stories is they're, they're not told about like old stories like Hercules or something like that, the great legends. They, they are told with all this detail. Uh, kind of like Matt's story was, was telling about the paraphernalia here. All, all the detail of a real-life testimony. And, and the two I want you to, a man and a woman, uh, Mary Magdalene and, and Peter. Okay, Mary Magdalene's story. I think of her, when you read her story in John chapter 20, as one who experienced the power to overcome hopelessness. What, what we know about Mary Magdalene is that she had met Jesus when she was really messed up. And he had set her free from a terribly destructive way of life. Uh, Dr. Luke who wrote about her, and you can read about her in Luke chapter 8. He tells us that, that when Jesus first met her, she was uh, uh, invaded by, uh, obsessed by seven demons. And in the ancient world, the word seven always speaks to completion, which really is declaring to us that her life was completely wrecked by evil. Uh, socially, you know that her life was messed up there. Emotionally and, and mentally and, and certainly spiritually, now, throughout church history, many people think that the Mary that we hear about in, in, in Luke 8 is the same Mary that you read about in Luke 7, the woman who was taken in prostitution and then one day just rushes into a Pharisee's house. And in Jesus, instead of Jesus rejecting her, he welcomes her and, and gives her peace. And if that's true, then what we have here is that Jesus set her free from that destructive way of life of prostitution. Uh, artists, uh, Christian artists throughout the centuries have portrayed her that way. I, I've just pulled out two of them, a newer one and an older one. I doubt that she looked at all like either one of these. She would have looked much more Jewish than either one of these. But you just see the Mary that we're talking about was involved in a way of life that surely must have left her feeling absolutely worthless, absolutely hopeless. Because in my life, uh, I tell you, I have never met a single girl, little girl, who grew up saying, you know what I hope to be when I grow up? A prostitute. Now, people get trapped in a way of life like that. It's, it's the effects of sin and even in, uh, evil in this world that just drive people into a way of life that we never would have chosen for ourselves. And, and often it's just a, a desire to survive financially. And when you get into that situation, it just feels like it's impossible for anything to change. But then one day, Mary had met Jesus, and he'd set her free from those demons. It's clear that ever since that time, she had followed him, that, that her new life was that. Even after Jesus had died, that's what we found, find her doing. I'm going to go to his uh, grave after the crucifixion. So, so at this point, I have to stop for a moment. I don't know how many of you are brand new to the church, but I've got to tell you something about Jesus that is so beautiful, and that is that Jesus cares about all people. And, and Jesus provides hope for all people. I mean, in her time and in her culture, Mary Magdalene would have been at the very bottom of the rung of society in terms of respectable people looking at her. She was a woman in a male-dominant society. At the very best, she would have been viewed as having a mental problem 
in a world in which mental illness was, was stigmatized. And, and if it's true that she was trapped in, in, in a way of life of prostitution, then you know that any respectable people wouldn't view her as respectable. So what, what would it be like if she walked in into a, a church setting like this? So just think about her life. I, I'm just trying to think what kind of future must she have thought was even possible for me? And then Jesus had broken in and welcomed her and called her to follow him. And so here we go. If you want to know what the message of the Bible is all about, what the gospel is all about, it's about many, many things. But I'll tell you, it's about this for sure. That the gospel of Jesus is not that those who are perfect or pretend to be perfect are in and the bad people are out. The good news of Jesus is that the humble are in and the proud are out. And, and it's just telling you and me that whenever we humble ourselves enough to say, Lord Jesus, I need you, he receives us, he forgives us, and he brings us in. So according to Luke chapter 8, what Mary's life had become after she had met Jesus was one of, well, following Jesus. And it even says there were other women there, so she had a community of people who supported Jesus and the ministry. So here's what you've got to think about. When we meet Mary Magdalene in John 20 in the text that Wendell read for us, she had already been following Jesus for a number of years. So think about it. She had seen his miracles, she had heard him say repeatedly, I'm going to Jerusalem, and you've got to know up front, I'm going to die there, but don't worry, I'm going to rise again. So you got that? Everybody knew that Jesus had said that, so much so that the governmental authorities had said, he said he's going to rise again. We're going to put a guard at the tomb to make sure that nobody comes and steals him away. Now Mary Magdalene had heard that, and yet on that particular day, um, when Mary showed up at the tomb, and saw it was empty, she didn't believe. She said, if you look at John 20, verse 2, hey, they, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. See, when I, I read the story of Mary Magdalene, she reminds me so much of what Matt said his life was in his childhood and as a student, that he'd been in a church like ours for his whole life, and I'm sure that everybody who looked at Matt or listened to Matt, he looked like a Christian, he sounded like a, a Christian, I mean, what else would he look like or sound like? And yet deep in his heart, he hadn't yet really come alive to God through faith in Jesus. And so when I read Mary Magdalene's story, it just has that ring of truth to me. Uh, for those years after she had met Jesus in Simon's house, uh, Mary had been a lot like Matt was in his childhood. He, um, she, she had followed him. I'm sure she developed all the language of all the women who were around her. And yet, she wasn't really alive to the Jesus that he was, so that when she got there to the tomb, she didn't even really believe that he had risen. I just try to put myself into her shoes, and I think at this point, don't you imagine that she went to the grave after the crucifixion and thought, what do I do now? What, what is God trying to do here? If there is a God, it makes no sense to me. Well, God, what God was trying to do, even in the midst of her confusion and all the pain, was he was wanting to draw her to himself. So I want you to make note of this. Never forget it. When everything in your world seems to be going wrong, God is still there, and God is still at work. So, you heard the story. Um, 
The risen of Jesus appears to Mary by the tomb. <laughs> she didn't even recognize him. She thought he was the gardener. <laughs> he called her what anybody would call her at that point, woman. She still didn't know him. And then he called her the name that he always called her, Mary. He knew her name. He knows your name. And at last, the coin drops. Ah, this is real. He is who he said he is. He is risen. And she says, Rabboni, using her own language in the Aramaic, which means rabbi or, or teacher or really the one that I follow. I, I just think that Mary really came alive spiritually that day. She came alive to the resurrected Jesus by placing her faith in him. And I, I love how it unfolds. Verse 17, she just holds on. She wants to be close to him and actually follow him, and that way now I can get my life back again. Because after all, what was she going to do after this? Go back to prostitution? No, no, no. Jesus says, he says to her what he has to say to us. Uh, now you must live by faith. Because I still have a work to do. You have to let go of me now. You've got to trust me without sight, but, but by faith. Uh, but I have a work to do, but I have a work for you to do, Mary. You have to go back and tell others that there is hope for them. That even if they get into the kind of life that you have been in, there is hope for them. For it is true. I have borne the sins of the world on myself, and I've defeated both sin and death by my resurrection. Go and tell the disciples. And if the stories of the early church are true about Mary, then her life truly changed. She did not return to her former way of life. Hallelujah. <laughs> she became a faithful witness to Jesus and an active part of the early church in the city of Jerusalem. Now, the early church has renamed her the Apostle to the Apostles, Mary of all people, because she carried the gospel, Apostle, one who carries sins, the gospel, to the Apostles, the first one to even go and tell Jesus' main disciples, it's true. I met him. Jesus is risen. She found a completely new way of life in the resurrected Jesus. She found what you and I need and what our whole world needs, the power to change that comes through the resurrected Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I wanted to tell you also the story of Peter um, because I somehow wanted you to know this is not just for women. There's hope men for us too. I hope you're glad about that. So I call him the power to overcome failure. Uh, Peter had been the leader of all the disciples. Uh, uh, do you know his story? He had claimed, oh, Jesus, all the other disciples, they might fail you, but not me. Jesus, you don't have to die for me. Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll save you, Jesus. But you know, Peter had failed. I mean, he failed miserably. Uh, one day, uh, by a fire, with some people really pressing them there, he lied about whether he ever knew Jesus. And then he denied Jesus, and not just once, but three times. Uh, I, have, I have a picture here of, of Peter. I, I'm sure he didn't look like this too, but it does give you that feel of Caravaggio's magnificent painting of Peter there as he's denying Jesus. But then you get to John chapter 20. And Peter was one of those who got to see that grave 
where the body, the clothes, the linen cloths were there, but, the, but Jesus wasn't there, and I love how it's told. Remember, John was writing this, and it was John and Peter who were running to the tomb, and uh, I can just see myself saying this, I got there first. I can almost see it. Yes, he went into the grave first, but I got there first. I was faster than he was. It's those little details that, that show you it's an eyewitness account, not just a legend. And when he got there, he saw that linen clothing. And then later he had uh, talked with Mary, and she said, I, I talked with him. I saw him. And later, uh, Jesus even appeared directly to Peter. And then yet again, in that you can read it in John 20, uh, when he had the episode with Thomas, who said he's, he's got to put his hands, Thomas said, I've got to put my hands in his hands for me to actually believe this. And Peter was there for all of that. And yet when you come to Peter again in John chapter 21, it is so clear to me that Peter still felt like a failure. I mean, I think he knew Jesus well enough to, to know that Jesus would welcome him back. But I'm sure he felt like at best... I'll only be in some sort of second-class status. So what we see uh, Peter doing here in John 21, he goes back to his old way of life. Let's go fishing. What else are we going to do? And he wasn't even any good at it there, too. He didn't catch anything, not, not on his own. Well, don't, don't you understand, Peter? Can't you relate to it? P Peter had lost his way. He surely thought, nobody will ever trust me again. I don't even trust myself. I'd done such big talk about all the things I was going to do, and I intended to do it, but I couldn't do them. Human nature changes not much faster than the geologic formation of the earth. Peter had claimed he could do things better than anyone else. He had failed worse than anyone else. And yet, here's the beautiful story, and you have to read through the rest of John 21 to, to get it. Jesus met him and restored him. You want some good news? Jesus can forgive anyone. Jesus can restore anyone. He can even take an old failure, proud failure like Peter, and give him a great commission. And, and the lesson is, God does great things through our lives, not because we're the great performers, but because we become the great repenters, <laughs> humbling ourselves and allowing the power of God to flow through us. Now, you can't miss this when you read Peter's story. Jesus forced him to take personal responsibility for the things that he had done. The way the story is told, um, where did Peter lie and deny Jesus. It was by a fire. Where does Jesus meet him? It was by a fire. Uh, how many times had Peter denied him? Three times. How many times did Jesus say, you've got to confess your love for me? He's got to see it. Because we try to cover up these things inside of ourselves. Peter, you, you've got to see it. That you have failed. But notice this, that when Jesus encounters him, he doesn't say, well, Peter, the only way I'm going to accept you is this way. Are you ever going to lie again? How would you like that? Are you ever going to deny me again? You might as well get out of here if that's the way you're going to be. See, if Jesus had encountered any of us that way, we have to go back to that old way of life of thinking, I've got to live up to this. I've got to show him what I can do. But that is not the gospel. 
We all say when we come to church and we actually believe in Jesus, I couldn't do it. And I still can't apart from you and the resurrection power of Jesus. Instead of that, what Jesus does is he goes under the real problem to what led to Peter's lying and to his denial. He asked Peter, do you love me more? Do you love me more than your accomplishments? Do you love me more than your reputation? I think what Peter really loved was himself, you know. People could see how good he was. Peter, are you willing to put me in front of your pride and what people think about you? Do you love me? Do you love me more? And Peter said, finally, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus gives him this great commission. I have something to do through you. You old humble failure, you. <laughs> Go and feed my sheep. And he built his church upon this, this, this man in the light of his faith after his failure. It is amazing. Mary Magdalene, in the eyes of the world, failing more than anyone else. Peter, failing even after he had said he was following now become the ones that Jesus changes and, and uses and makes his representatives to the world. So here, here's the message today. Easter is about many things, but I'll tell you one of the main things personally that Easter is about is that we have the ability to change because of the resurrection power of Jesus. There is hope for us because of the resurrection power of Jesus. So... Matt's giving testimony to the fact that his life is changing. Mary Magdalene's life changed. Peter's life changed. I'm telling you this. If our human strength is all we have, then Solzhenitsyn is right. Human nature, if it changes at all, changes no faster than the geological face of the earth. But here at Easter, we remember that the one through whom the geological face of the earth was created entered into his creation and is ready to enter into your life. And he has the power to change anything. Jesus can change you. Jesus is ready to offer forgiveness for whatever is in your past. He is ready to give you a new life, a better life for the future. What do you have to do? It's so simple. It's kind of like Matt and Mary and Peter did. You've got to take responsibility for the failures and sins of your past, for any kind of self-driven life. You have to do it as Jesus told Peter to do. He said, you've got to love me, make me the first love. That's a very Hebrew notion of what you put first in your life. What you have to do is to ask him to come into your life. Acknowledge your sins. Turn from them. Turn to Jesus and say, I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior and my Lord. What I want to call you to do today is to add your story to the stories of Matt and Mary Magdalene and Peter, and I want to make sure your name is there. I want you to be able to be one of those people who can say, I am experiencing the resurrection power to change me. He's not done with me yet, 
but I see that he is there and I trust him to do it. As you consider now how God would have you to respond to that invitation, here's what I, I've been praying about this for, for weeks. I thought, we'll tell these stories of the Bible. We'll sing some of the songs that Christians have sung throughout the ages, like Christ the Lord is risen today. But I want you to know that the resurrection power of Jesus is real for us right here in Pasadena in 2016. So, so we've had the privilege of having a number of artists who are part of the life of our church, and, and they have, this was all done, what you're going to see in, right now. It is all done flowing out of a group of people in the life of this church who are experiencing that the message I'm talking to you about, that this message is true. There are people who are experiencing the resurrection power of Jesus. I wanted it to be put in an art form that is for 2016. So, so, so we put together uh, some spoken word and some dance, and some music, all, all of it generating out of the lives of us who are simply saying we belong to Jesus. And I pray that as, as they do this, that you'll experience in a fresh and a new way, that if anyone is in Christ, you become a new creation. The old can pass away. Yes, the new can come, because it is true that he is risen. You can be different because of the resurrection power of Jesus, and it's all to his glory.